0: Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a brief update. If you have been listening to the podcast over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we have entered into a partnership with Compassion International. And our goal as a show is to get 30 children sponsored by the end of the year. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen. It was talking about From Fear to Freedom, where I invited Jay onto the show to talk about his time that he spent as a child, a nine-year-old child in a Kenyan prison and how God intervened on his behalf. And his story is so close to my heart because I have spent time in those Kenyan prisons doing ministry and working with kids in the same location that he was from. And so It's such an attachment, a heart match for me that I wanted to bring that information to you and the opportunity for you. And as a show, that's where our tithe, the monthly tithe of the show income is going. And I just want to give you an update. Our goal was to sponsor 30 children by the end of the year. We are currently at 14 children, so we're almost halfway there. And so if you are thinking about sponsoring a child, I would encourage you to go ahead and make that decision. And if you have already sponsored a child, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I am so incredibly thankful that you made that decision. You will see the impact because you will be getting the letters and the sponsorship material in in the mail, but also I would like to eventually take a trip with compassion and we could potentially even invite you along in that whole process and so just thank you thank you thank you thank you for allowing god to move your heart in that way and so as we get in today's episode i want to pick up in matthew chapter 20 and if you're just joining us i would encourage you to go back and start at the beginning of this introduction to the gospel series where we are going through the book of matthew little by little piece by piece and explaining the history and the background and the culture If you would like to dive a little bit deeper, we have a couple options for you. First, we have the journaling prompts. We have the family discussion guides, and we have transcripts. All of those are available for you on our Patreon page, where we also have ad-free episodes. And so if that's something you would like, the link is in the show notes. But also, we offer spiritual direction and life coaching with me, because I understand that sometimes these concepts can rub a nerve raw, or sometimes we have a hard time understanding how this is going to work in our individual lives. Again, you can head to the show notes, or you can head to shehears.org to learn more. So today I'm reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, and I'm reading from Matthew chapter 20, and I'm actually going to read the last verse, verse 30 from Matthew chapter 19, and then go right into Matthew chapter 20. So it says, But many who are first will be last and the last first for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you go into the vineyard also. And whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the 6th and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, starting with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And so when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day's work and the scorching heat. But he answered and said to each one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I want to give to this last person the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. So I want to include verse 30 in this because, again, it says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Because in a traditional reading, the way this would have been read to the original audience or written to the original audience, it would have been bracketed with this inclusion of verse 30 through the end of today's passage. And the reason for that, I just want to point out, yes, every word of the Bible is, is inspired and the scripture is inspired by God. Not necessarily is that true for what we call the addresses, the chapter and the verse breakdowns. In modern translation, sometimes there's disagreement about where to break that passage, where to break up those storylines, and especially in terms of the fact that typically this would have been taught together. It wouldn't have been like, okay, we're going to stop at chapter 19 and pick up with chapter 20 tomorrow. It would have been all taught together in, in, you know, one long passage or one long section or one long session. And so for us, I think it's really important that we remember that and we recognize that sometimes it's helpful to read before and after. We want to always read scripture in context. So, In verse 30, this idea of the last and the first, I think it's important to point out right off the bat that the Jewish audience that Matthew was speaking to, they would have believed that at the day of judgment, all things would be set right, which we believe that too. But it was different in their culture because they believed that any kind of injustice that was happening at the present age would have been set right. But for them, what that meant was that the Gentiles would be cast down and Israel would be exalted because, again, they had this idea that the Gentiles were beneath them and the Jewish people were the ones above them. And so that is the setting for what Jesus is talking about. So he goes on and he starts talking about this field. And you have to remember, in this ancient culture, it was really common and typical in ancient literature for them to portray God as a king or a landowner. And so metaphorically speaking, he's talking about God. Keep that in the back of your mind. And then grapes, I think I just want to point out, grapes were one of the most important crops in ancient Israel. It's one of the reasons why Israel has all these metaphors and it describes Israel or the relationship with God as the vine and the vineyard of God. And we see that throughout the scriptures, but that's part of the reason why, because that was one of the main crops that they grew there. And so wealthy landowners would have tenants that would work their estates. But not just the wealthy landowners, the less wealthy landowners always required extra workers temporarily to gather in the harvest when the harvest came. And so during the harvest, especially when it was a a good crop, Work would begin around sunrise, about 6 a.m., before the day got hot, and then some of those people that would be working as laborers, those temporary laborers, would also have their own maybe small farms or their own plots of land, and they would have to work their land first And then they would go out and make extra money by working for these other landowners because the landowners that had a lot of land that were wealthy, they were going to have more to harvest than these smaller guys would. So there was also people who did not own any land. There were people that had not inherited any of their father's land. There were people that had lost their land. There were people that had traveled to the area just looking for an employment. And so there was a lot of workers in this central location where he went to secure workers for the day. And then when it talks about a denarius, a denarius was an average day's wage. And a lot of times they would pay extra because they wanted to get the harvest taken care of. They could only work during those daytime hours. And if it was a really big harvest, they needed to work as hard as they could to gather in that harvest because it would spoil if you you let it go too long. And so the day-long workers that typically worked day in, day out, they would have this sense of camaraderie. It was something that they kind of just enjoyed as part of their culture. They would often be singing together and kind of almost like this brotherhood of sorts. And so the work would begin a little before 6 a.m., and then the work would complete once it got dark at night. And so during this harvest season they would be working in the heat of the day you know they would take a little bit of a break for lunch but they would be working pretty much all day in really harsh conditions i mean it was super hot that you know if you've ever been in that region of the world at harvest time it's it's really really hot and so It's natural to assume if you were one of these workers that came in later in the day, if you came at the sixth hour or the ninth hour or even the 11th hour, it would be natural to assume that they would not get a full day's wage. And again, a lot of them were doing it for extra money because they had to till their own land or they had to harvest their own land and then they were going to get extra money at the end of the day helping these other wealthy landowners. They did not expect to get a full denarius. They, In fact, that wasn't even normal. That was a really big act of generosity. And so the ones that were hired for that single hour of work, I think those are what we're focusing here. Not, you know, it's it's interesting to understand that, you know, obviously there was a harvest that they needed a lot of workers. There there was a lot of work to do. And so he hired people throughout the day. But the ones we're going to focus on were the ones that were there at the beginning of the day and the ones that were there at the end of the day. So The Jewish law would mandate that all laborers would be paid the same day because often a denarius was one day's wage and those wages were very little as far as not being sufficient for more than one day's needs. And they often, you know, we talk about living paycheck to paycheck, they would live day to day. And so they would get that denarius and a lot of times they'd go, they'd buy their food for dinner, they'd go home, they'd cook it and they would literally live day to day. Now, if you were a wealthy landowner in that culture or if you were just wealthy by the Mediterranean standards in that ancient world, one of the things that you would do is you would give gifts or work in a way that benefited the community because that increased your social standing. And so there's this public status of the donors that would be donating towards the community, whether it was with food or, you know, sometimes they would put on a meal. And so in that time frame, when he was being generous with his money and paying those workers that came at the 11th hour, the same day's wage as those that had been there all day, that was a mark of generosity. And so when those original workers started to complain, in that culture, they would be seen as really rude and ungrateful. And so his response, he refers to him as friend. He He's talking to one, but this is generally what how he's responding to these guys. He refers to him as friend. And it's interesting because the workers and the landowners were not friends, regardless of what you might think. And so that is kind of a way of sarcasm, I guess, to say, you know, there's this disrespect there because it there would have been shame by those guys that were complaining. And it was a complete show of this lack of respect to this wealthy landowner that was trying to be generous with them. And so when he calls them friends, it's kind of an insult to them. And then when he talks about the evil eye or even just the way that it's worded, it's talking about, let me see how it's worded in this version is your eye envious because I'm generous? In the original language, that would have been called an evil eye. But what that essentially means is somebody that is stingy. And it was a common way, a common expression that they would talk about that. But the landowner had been really fair to those that had worked all day and generous to those that had not worked all day. And that really was the landowner's prerogative to be generous or not. And so when he's talking about how they are complaining with ingratitude, he is shaming them. And shame is part of that culture, that communal culture, where it is something that they would want to avoid. And realistically, they didn't think about what they were saying before they said it. It was this entitlement attitude. But the Jewish people were affirming that God, who alone was the one that was owning all of these things. He is generous in whatever he gives. And so they would acknowledge that as a culture. But then even this attribute of how he is giving them something, these, these layer workers, something that they don't deserve. That's this attribute of mercy that we see in, in God. And the Jewish people knew that, but yet they were ignoring that when it comes to how they were living their, their own lives. And it's interesting because in general, This story, this parable that he's teaching is a way to explain the kingdom of God and and how God interacts with those that, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how long it took you to kind of come to this realization about who Jesus is. We're all going to end up in heaven if you've made that decision. And it doesn't matter if you have been a Christian since you were four years old or if you became a Christian on your deathbed. Either way, the benefit is the same because of the generosity of God, because of the mercy of God. And what's interesting is at the time, the Jewish teachers told a similar kind of story about this day of judgment, but they use it to make the opposite point. Because remember, what I started off by saying is they had this mentality that Israel was going to be elevated and the Gentiles were going to be lowered. And they would use that similar kind of story to talk about how the Gentiles who labored little would receive little and the the Israel people would be the ones that would receive the benefits of God's kingdom. And Jesus is challenging wealth and status and eternal position directly to these Jewish leaders. And he's telling one of their stories in a way that properly interprets the kingdom principles. Because remember, as the author of the law, Jesus is fully God, fully man. As the author of the law and the Torah and the word of God, he is the only one that can correctly interpret the law. And so he's basically putting it in their face that, no, they have interpreted this wrong. And how Jesus does things is different than how they are teaching it. And I love that because, I think this is something that we see within the body of Christ. I think too often what we see is churches that will say, it's us for no more. What do I mean by that? Well, I I used to work in a, a local church where I was the outreach pastor. And if you know anything about outreach ministry, it can be messy. You know, when you are dealing with people that are homeless or addicted or in poverty, they look different than the people that have been Christians their whole lives. That have, you know, maybe nuclear families and good jobs and two point five kids and a dog or whatever it is. They look different. They act different. If it's somebody that's brand new to the gospel, they don't know how to behave within the context of a church, and that's okay. We love them anyway. And so I remember several times where we would bring kids in, we would bust them in, and. They might not smell the greatest. Sometimes I have one kid that he would come in with one sock and you'd say in middle of winter, January, why? where's your other sock? Oh, I couldn't find it. Well, he, only, he didn't even have one full pair of socks. He had one sock. That's all he had. That's the level of poverty I'm talking about. And so instead of having compassion and maybe going and buying this kid a pair of socks or a couple pairs of socks, we would have people that would complain about how dare he comes to church barefoot with one of his feet barefoot. I mean, can I grip? That grip? That is so far from the heart of Jesus that, oh my gosh, my flesh wanted to smack the snot out of him. But I had to teach people about what the gospel actually looked like when we were acting in accordance to Jesus's heart and this heart aspect of kingdom righteousness and what that actually meant. And even things like as our church continued to grow and we would invite people in and, and the, the community started showing up because they were responding to the way that we were ministering to them. People didn't like the fact that we were growing and we went from two services to three services. And maybe when they came into the church, their favorite seat was taken and there would be people that would complain where, you know, their church is just getting too big. And my answer to that is, is who would you like to go to hell? I mean, if we are reaching the community for with the gospel and we are teaching them about the hope and the life change that happens within the gospel, is it your grandkids that you want to go to hell or is it somebody else's grandkids that you want to go to hell? And and that mentality always broke my heart because I had to explain to Christians that had been Christians for a long time about what the gospel actually meant. And here what we see, I think, is a very similar situation where Jesus is pointing out to these religious leaders that you guys are missing it. You guys are teaching this in a way that is opposite of my heart. And so I I want you to keep all that in mind. I'm going to go back. I'm going to reread this passage. And I just want to pray that that would sink in in a really real way for you. So starting, I'm actually going to start in chapter 19, verse 30, and then go on to chapter 20. It says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you go into the vineyard also and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went again. He went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, starting with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. And so when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day's work in the scorching heat. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I want to give to this last person the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first. And the first, last. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your heart and the way it is revealed through the pages of the scriptures. God, we thank you that you are the one that offers mercy and grace because we know that there are so many times where we are the ones that need your mercy and grace. God, help us to be convicted by this passage where we are not like those workers where we are complaining and grumbling, but God, help us to have humble hearts that are grateful for the gift of everlasting life and the hope of the gospel. Lord, help us also to be generous with our hearts and our minds and our spirits when we encounter those that are different from us. God, I pray for even right now, the people that may have had a perspective shift today. Lord, would you convict their hearts and would you more importantly, help them to come to you in repentance? God, we thank you for the way that you love us and you love those around us. God, would you open our eyes and our hearts to have the things that break your heart break ours? I thank you and praise you in all things. Amen. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. Hey, friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I wanna make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things, we hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids' show, every day I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to SheHears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly.